What's up, everybody? I told you I would be back super fast. Crazy fights this weekend. Crazier fights happening. Well, not maybe not crazy, but just as crazy. Maybe not just as big of fights happening this weekend. But enjoy the fight. Did anything cra- Oh, I went to Chuck E. Cheese on Saturday. That was pretty dope. I thought they went bankrupt, but apparently not all of them. Only some of them. That not they don't have as many locations open, but it was cool. Anyway, guys, stay safe out there. Wear your masks. Deuces. Everybody, is everybody excited? UFC 263 in the books, PFL 4 in the books, Bellator, I want to say 265, is in the books. Man, what crazy fights happened this weekend, huh? We're going to start with the results of PFL 4. I think that's what it's called, PFL 4. Clarissa Shields, she makes... Her debut and she wins. The positives to take away from that, she was in bad spots, but she made adjustments, right? So, she's going to learn. Like, this is her first fight. She's only 26 and she's doing both sports, both boxing and MMA at the same time. I wonder if in the long run that's going to be a decision she regrets. That's something she will have to figure out. But, it wasn't bad. She got mounted. She stayed calm and composed. And she was able to get into a dominant position. She wasn't listening to her corner when they told her, get up, get up, get up. Like, she was just pounding away at the girl, but she eventually got the stoppage. And at the end of the day, the winners that matters, right? Also, who else fought that night? Give me one quick sec. Clay Caldward, he clinched the spot in the finals. He was a boxer. He's from Utah. He trains in Vegas. But he clinches a spot in the finals after a split decision win over Lutterbatch. So, the PFL playoffs are starting to shape up. Of course, the last two weeks of the regular season are coming up with Thursday. Roy McDonald fighting Glayson Tebow, right? And then the following week, Kayla Harrison fights and what's the final spot of the right the final event of the regular season not spot sorry and then called called word is also the guy that beat anthony pettis in the season opener anthony pettis of course is going to fight in two weeks um i don't see anthony making it to the playoffs well i can't say that the only way i see him making it to the playoffs is if he gets a first round finish that'll give him six points because I don't know how the current standings are. Let me check them out. I should have had this up, but I don't know. But for those who don't know, 
that only the top four people with the most points throughout the season make the playoffs. So right now, I believe he has either zero or one because it went to decision, but I think it's zero because he lost. So if Anthony wants life in, in this tournament, he needs to um get a quick finish in the first round because then that'll give him six points. If Kayla Harrison wins in the fir- in the first round, she makes the playoffs because that'll give her nine points because she has six points right now. Okay, here we go. E featherweight. Another dude that's in danger of not making the playoffs is Lance Palmer. He doesn't have any points, and I believe he got injured. So right now, he still got a shot if he wins in the first round because a lot of these guys. They only have three points, and the second fights have already happened other than his. So if he gets a first-round finish, he can get six points, and that'll qualify him to go playoffs. That's his only shot, or unless, because the only other guy that has, there's only two other dudes that have six points. So he doesn't even need six points. He just needs to be top four. He needs, best case scenario is he wins in the first round, right? That gives them six points right there. Like Kayla Harrison. I'm pretty sure these guys, they just won by decision. So they got six points after their two fights. But see, Larissa and Kayla, they already have six points because they won in their first round. Oh, and so did Loki Randy's buff. He lost his first fight, but he won the second fight. So he gets six points in the first round. So Anthony Anthony could be in a similar situation as this guy. Where if he wins in the first round, he qualifies for the finals. Like as long as Kayla and this Larissa Pachiojoko. Well, I hope I said Pachico. Pachico. Larissa Pachico win. As long as they win, they're in. Like, they can't lose. Like, they can even win by decision, and they're in. They can't lose. They could... Actually, that's not true. They could probably even lose, and they'll still make it to playoffs. Because all these other girls either only have three points or zero points. So, as long as they win, they'll clinch their spot because then I don't know if even though they have similar points if the other girls have two wins they'll be taking over the girls that have six points and a loss I don't know how that works so yeah Clarissa Shields she's one to look out for in the future she's gonna it's gonna take time to build her up especially if she's gonna do both boxing and MMA at the same time she's not gonna progress as fast as people probably think she will even though she's already got a base in boxing, like she just really needs to work on her grappling and stuff. Cause she did make some errors, but it's like everything—you can't be good at everything on day one unless you're some kind of prodigy. So we'll see what happens. I'm really excited to see what PFL does with her. Oh, I'm excited for these next two weeks. So as long as Rory McDonald and Ray Cooper win their fights, they're in the playoffs because this. Jaúl Sefirino guy, he only has three points. 
Can't wait for these next two weeks, bro. Can't wait. Bellator also had an event on Friday. Amosov, what's his name? Amosov. Yagoslav Amosov defeated Douglas Lima, so now he's champion. Bro, I'm gonna tell you, the person I watched this with could not stop complaining how Amosov was winning the fight. Like, he was complaining to me, like, he wanted me to do something. Like, dude, what do you want me to do? I'm like, if you were in that same position, you would do the exact same thing. He's like, no, I wouldn't. I'm like, yes, you would. You're winning. Is it boring? Sure, but he's winning. Like, it's up to Lima to do something about it, and Lima didn't have an answer. But I'm like, that's hilarious. But anyway, almost off. He's probably going to find Michael Venom Page next because they have Michael Venom Page at the desk. So that's probably the next fight for him. For Douglas Lima, I want to see him fight Jason Jackson. I do not understand why they had Jason Jackson fight Paul Daly at 175. I don't get it. Paul Daly's number six. He's probably going to go down. But I don't understand why they had him fight Paul Daly at 175. That's my only problem, that it was at 175. It should have been at 170. So Douglas Lima may either fight Jason Jackson or Paul Daly next. Because MVP is probably going to fight Amosov for the title at the end of the year. Towards the end of the year. That's a good fight, but if MVP can't stop the takedown... I don't know. I see him going to 27 and 0 easily, and closing in on Khabib's 29 and 0 record. Of course, people are gonna say it's not the same because Khabib fought in the UFC and Amosov has yet to do that. But what can you do, bro? What can you do? UFC 264, bro. What a fight card! I mean, it wasn't 264, 263. What a fight card, bro. Good fights. Like, it was a good fight all around. I didn't see much of the prelims because I was at a birthday party, and by the time I got home, the prelims were practically over. So we're just going to talk about the main card. Paul Craig versus Jamal Hill. Dang. What a fight. I had Jamal Hill winning, but... Paul Craig proved everybody wrong. Luckily, Jamal Hill, his arm's not broken. It just got severely dislocated, so they popped it back in. Um, I believe Paul Craig is ranked like number 14 or something like that. He is. Haven't fight Misha haven't fight Misha Krikonov. Not Jimmy Crew. I'd rather see him fight Misha. Because Johnny Walker's going to fight um, Tiago Santos. So I haven't fight Misha Krikonov. That'd be a good fight. They're two grapplers, so that would be a good fight. 
Bula Muhammad versus Damian Maya. I mean, that went as I expected. I'm like, if Damian can't get this fight to the ground and Bula keeps it standing, he wins the fight. So, they haven't really updated these rankings, but let's say Bula. He, he just beat Damian Maya. And people above him are Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal, Michael Chiesa, Vicente Luque, Stephen Thompson, Leon Edwards, and Gilbert Burns, Kobe Covington. Those are people above him, so. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bulaw fights Neil Magny next, because I don't think the I don't think Jorge Masvidal will fight him. I don't think Chiesa will fight. He could even probably go as high as to fight Vicente Luque. That'd be a good fight. I know he wants that Leon Edwards fight back, but I don't see that happening, at least not in his immediate future. It could happen sometime in the future. I don't see that happening in his immediate future. But that's a dude to look out for, bro. Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. It went as I expected, but it was more competitive, like... Because I expected Leon to go in there and just have his way with Nate. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Like, Nate had his moments. He even rocked him in the fifth round, which that's what everybody's talking about. Um, Not to make excuses for Nate, but I had known the reason they had pushed back his fight was because of the cut he, that he was talking about. Because he was originally supposed to fight in May. So I don't know how much he trained. The month after that because you can't really train with the cut because you get hit, it reopens up, it can make it worse. So they were saying that he didn't really spar for the last month. So I don't want to make excuses for Nate, but there is that. Like he's always getting hurt. Like not hurt, but he's always going in with these like nagging injuries. With the Jorge Masvidal fight, he went in with a bad knee. And it shows too because he was way more competitive in this fight. Then he was in the Jorge Masvidal fight. And, like, if his knee was compromised in that fight, his he can't have good movement, right? He rocked Leon. Like, it shows that Nate... Like, even though Nate has a crappy record, like, it shows that he's still a top fighter. Like, so much so that I've already seen two call-outs for him. Like, Nate hasn't said who he wants to fight. The only thing he says is, like, I'm going to go heal up and probably fight again in three, four months. Already, Damian Maya says he wants his last fight to be against Nate. He can win that fight. Nate can. Dan Hooker says he wants to fight Nate. They they had a little back and forth a little while back. But the thing is, is, is it at 170 or 155? Like, that's another thing. I would like to see Nate try to go back down to 155. He can beat a lot of the top guys there. Like, he would give... He would give Dustin Poirier a hard time. Like, the only thing I see Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje doing today is kicking his leg because that is a chink in the armor they have. There is the trilogy with Connor. He'll give the new champ Charles Oliveira a hard time. He'll give Chandler a hard time. He'll give Tony Ferguson a hard time. Like, Nate can be more competitive at 155 in my opinion, but he, I guess he just doesn't want to cut weight. They honestly should, because he's too big for 155, but too small for 170. They should honestly think about making 165. 
it does exist in other organizations. It just doesn't exist in the UFC. Like, another one that suffers from that is Michelle Watterson. She should be fighting at Adam weight. At 105 pounds. She's too small for 120. I mean, yeah, she's too small for 125. And she's about the right size for 115. But a lot of these other girls are bigger than her. She should honestly be fighting at Adam weight. There's just not, like, Dana's thing with the 165 division, he's like, people will start jumping around and wait. Like, so? What's the problem? Like, if, if if they see, like, that's not a good move, they'll go back where they should go. So, that's my thoughts on that. Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. Bro, what a fight. Like, what a fight. What a crazy fight that was. One of my favorite fights of all time that I've ever seen. Because there was nonstop action from the start of the bell to the end of the bell. Especially from Brandon. Like, that dude was focused. I put a lot of attention on the fact that the first time they fought, they only had like a month to prepare both of them. And Davison, he cuts a lot of weight. Like, he cuts a lot of weight. So, I'm like, maybe that had a factor on his performance? Nope. Like, the fact is that Davidson Figueredo does, he does cut a lot of weight. But, that just means he should move on to 135. Because I believe the weight cut, taking nothing away from Brandon, really affects his performance. He was able to do it trying to fight for the belt. Because remember, the first time he was supposed to fight for the belt against Benavidez... In February, he missed weight, and he still won. That's why they ran it right back, and he actually made weight, and he just demolished Benavides. I don't know if he had the similar hard time making the weight when he fought Alex Perez, but he beat that dude under a minute. And then Brandon Moreno, he had a hard time making the weight that he went to the hospital and stuff like that. For this one, he barely made it in time to weigh in. I think the weight cuts too much for him. I wouldn't be. I want to see him go up to bantamweight, and he can fight a top fifteen guy in bantamweight. The way they have this is backwards. Off the top of my head, having fight Cody Stanman. Cody Stanman. I was gonna say Stanman. Cody Stanman. Or Jimmy Rivera. Or even Rafael Sansao. Maybe not Marab Divashavili. Not yet. Because that dude deserves a higher ranked opponent. But give these guys Davison. Make Davison fight one of these guys in his Bantamweight debut. Or he's probably fought at Bantamweight before. I don't know. But I honestly believe that Bantamweight is the way to go for Davison. Even though he was talking about a trilogy with Brandon. I don't think that's a good idea. I think Brandon would beat him again. Again, the weight cut is too much for him. And he, like, only does power shots. Another thing, he doesn't throw combos. He only throws power shots. So, there's that. But Brandon looks absolutely sensational. Congratulations to Brandon Moreno. He trains out at Tijuana, Mexico, Baja, California. Shout out to him. His gym was going crazy. There's a video online about people at his gym watching the fights. 
they were absolutely losing their minds. Losing their minds, they were. So, for Brandon, let me see. What's next for Brandon? There's the Figueredo fight. They might make him fight Ashkar Ashraf. That's another one that misses weight a lot. That's a good fight right there. That'd be a crazy fight. Can I get that fight instead of the Figueredo fight? The Ascar Astrov guy. And then there's Alexander Pantoja. Or Alexandre Pantoja. And then there's Alex Perez. And then there's Joe B. I don't think him and Joe B would fight because that was his coach on the Ultimate Fighter. And then he already beat Brandon Royval. And then there's Kai Kara France. There's a lot of good fights at Flyweight. It wasn't too long ago. They were thinking about getting rid of flyweight altogether. But these guys just got to give it time. Give it time and these guys will come. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. It went as I thought. I knew Israel learned from his Jan Brakovich fight. A lot of people were saying don't put a lot of the blame on the loss to Jan Brakovic on the weight discrepancy, but that was a big factor. Another big factor that I really didn't talk about was the power that Jan Brakovic has is he had to stay away from him because he knew the type of heat Jan could bring, right? Like He's like, if this dude clocks me, I could go out cold. He even had to worry about that when he fought Yoel Romero. And, like, he was less afraid of that when he fought Paulo Costa for some reason. But, like, with Yoel, too, like, he like he knew. Because I think Yoel dropped him even at one point of the fight. But those are two main points. He had to worry about the firepower of Jan Brakovic. And then the grappling of Jan Brakovic with the weight discrepancy. Where he didn't have to worry about that with Marvin. So, like, he would just counter Marvin left and right. And it was his show throughout the fight. Even when he did get taken down, he was able to reverse the position. And be dominant on the ground. A lot of people are mad at Easy because of the way he acts. But he did what he had to do. I even said this when he fought Romero. He did what he had to do. So... A lot of people say Marvin won. I don't know how people are saying that, but a lot of people believe Marvin Vittori won that fight. I don't know how. I want to know how they think that. Like, I really do. I want to know how they... That's like me saying Nate Diaz won that fight. He didn't win in the parameters. If, they, if that fight goes another round, he probably could have won. If he had another minute, he probably could have won. But... I don't know how people say that Marvin won that fight. Izzy clearly won, in my opinion. The, the scorecards show that 50-45, I believe they were. What's next for Izzy is Robert Whitaker. Like, they're both already talking. Robert Whitaker's next. Because, look, he's already beating Robert, but Robert is the number one guy. He beat Costa. He beat Marvin. He hasn't fought Jared. He beat Brunson. I believe he hasn't fought Hermanson or Till either. But okay. He's being three 
of the top. He's being four of the top five guys. Like I know what the fight he really wants. They just he just needs to get a win as Darren Till. And I believe Darren Till's fighting Derek Brunson in August. So if if Darren could win there, he's in the top five. Although I believe Darren will end up fighting Costa or Vittori. And if Jared Cannonier beats Gastelum. They could fight one more time before the winner fights for a title. So, the fights to look out for right now are Jared Cannonier versus Kevin Gastelum. And then Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. And then Uriah Hall is going to fight Sean Strickland in August. That's another fight to look out for, but as far as the top top goes, those are the two fights to look out for. Especially if Jared and Darren win, that sets up a fight for them. And then the winner of that can fight for the title. Because Marvin Vittoria is already calling out Paulo Costa. That's a smart call out. Because if he stays at the number three spot and Paulo stays at the number two spot, like, they're still right there. But the problem is, at least for Marvin, he needs Izzy to lose the title if he wants a shot at the bell again. Because he's already lost twice to him. Paulo could still fight Izzy one more time. Because even though he's lost, he only lost to him once. Even though it was a severe loss. He could still fight. They could still sell the rematch. But the other problem is, is the way Paulo's been acting. Saying that he doesn't want to fight for no less than 350k. I reached out to his manager, but his manager hasn't responded to me. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, man, middleweight is on fire right now. I hope Darren can make it to the fight because he's always getting hurt. Poor Darren Till. I hope he can make it. I'll be rooting for him. I like both him and Brunson. But he's going to have to stop the takedowns and a lot of takedowns. If he can stop the takedowns, he can win this fight. Oh, Patricio Pitbull and AJ McKee are set to fight July 31st. Let's see right here. Pitbull and AJ McKee finally have a day for their highly anticipated Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix Final. The two-division champion will face undefeated talent at an upcoming Bellator show on July 31st. Multiple people with knowledge of the booking told MMA Fighting. The location for the event, which will air on Showtime, has yet to be determined. I heard it's going to be in LA, possibly at the Forum, and I'm possibly going to go. Pitbull, who also holds the Bellator lightweight belt, made his way to the 145-pound tournament final by defeating Juan Archuleta, Pedro Cavallo, and Emmanuel Sanchez on his bracket. The Brazilian hasn't lost in featherweight in almost six years, scoring wins over the like of Daniel Strauss and Daniel Wichel and capturing the lightweight title in the process with a quick victory over Michael Chandler. E. 
McKee17-0, who has built his entire MMA record under the Bellator banner, made short work of Georgie Karakahanzan. I hope I said that right. Derek Campos and Darian Caldwell to earn his shot at featherweight. McKee has only gone the distance six times in his professional career before the Grand Prix kicked off in 2019. He defeated names like Pat Curran, John Teixeira, and Brian Moore. Dang, that's going to be a crazy fight. I think it's going to get dragged into deep waters. Like, the thing is, can AJ deal with Pitbull's power? Because AJ is crazy. AJ has power of his own. But since this tournament got announced, I'm like, these two are making it to the final. When I heard that, when I saw they were on different sides of the bracket, I was like, yes. Yes, even though the... When they got to pick their second round spots, I got kind of nervous they were going to end up on the same side. But AJ's crazy, and he wanted the first fight of the second round. And Pitbull, he, since he was the last fight of the first round, he picked the last fight of the second round. So that automatically made them be on opposite brackets. I was excited. I'm like, yes, these two are going to make it to the finals. So since the tournament kicked off, I had both of these guys making it to the finals. What a way to end that tournament. I hope it's in LA so I can go. I want to go to this fight so bad. This gives me a big fight feel like when Conor McGregor fights, when Nate Diaz fights. That's how excited I am for this fight. Can't wait. July 31st. I will try to get more information on this event. Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige is happening this weekend. Korean Zombie versus Danny Gay. E, this main event is so good that my heart tears. I'm gonna go. It's because the knockout power of Danny Gay is the X Factor. I'm gonna go with. I'm going to go with Danny Gay. I'm going to go with the underdog. Alexei Olenek versus Sergey Spivak. I'm going to go with Alexei Olenek, even though he's looked kind of rough in his last couple outings. I think he's going to get an Ezekiel choke. Marlon Vera versus Davy Grant. I got to go with Chito. I like that guy. That guy has all the makings of being a superstar himself. I hope he knows that. I feel like he does, but I hope he knows it because he really does. Matt Brown versus Diego Lima, Douglas Lima's brother. Yeah, I like both guys. I don't know. It depends what Matt Brown shows up. Because there's still shades of his old self in there. But Diego's good too, man. What a fight card. I cannot wait. And then there's Team Means versus Danny Roberts. I like Team Means in that one. But yeah, man. Like these fight night cards. Or, or they, they sneak up on you because, like, you just get over this big pay-per-view weekend. You're like, man, what's going to top this? And then these fight night cards are a little sneaky, bro. They got good fights on them if you know what to look for. Like, the one after Poirier and McGregor 3, Max Holloway versus Rodriguez. That's going to be a good fight card. 
Because you got Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. You got Marlon Renal versus Misha Tate. And then you got Islam Makachev fighting Tiago Moises. And then you got Danny Rodriguez fighting Abu Bagnar and Nurmagomedov. You got Jeremy Stevens fighting Gamrot. You got Phil Haas fighting. That's going to be a good card. I wonder if they're going to put that one in the Apex or they're going to try like a smaller arena in Vegas. Like maybe the Palms or something. Because they haven't announced the location for this one. And then after that, you got Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. Aspen Ladd's going to be on there. Macy Barber's going to be on there. Rafael Asensa is going to be on there. Ian Heinish is going to be on there. Damn. These UFC fight nights are no joke, bro. Sejara Eubanks is going to be on there. Mickey Gall is going to be on there. Miranda. Oh, that's who. That's who damn. Macy Barber versus Miranda Maverick. That's a good fight. That's a hard fight for Macy Barber. Can't wait for this one, July 24th. July be looking good for the fight game. July's looking good, bro. Valentina Chevchenko's next opponent. It's Lauren Murphy, bro. Like, come on. Who else? Like, let's look at it. Sorry, that's my stomach. She already beat Jessica Andrade. This is Valentina Chevchenko. I'm talking about. She already beat Jessica Andrade. She beat Caitlin Chukagan. She beat Jennifer Maya. She beat Jessica I. That's one, two, three, four. She'd be four girls in the top seven, including the number one and number two person. The next one up, and the number four person. The next one up is number three, Lauren Murphy. I would like to see Cynthia Calvillo fight. Cynthia just got a fight announced. I just can't remember against who. Will it tell me if I click on her name? But yeah, the next fight for for Valentina should be Lauren Murphy. That's the right thing to do. Is that what's going to happen? I don't know, but that's the right thing to do. Yeah, she lost to Caitlyn on November 21st. Yeah, it's not... T I know she gets, she has a fight announced. It's just not telling me when. But it's Lauren Murphy, bro. Like, don't play with me. It's Lauren Murphy that should get the next fight. Should, right? Unless Valentina goes up and fights Amanda Nunes, then I won't be mad. But if her next fight's at flyweight, it should be Lauren Murphy. Let's get into some current events. 
This is my favorite part of the whole show. Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill 2 set for UFC 265. Dope. Oh, look, let's read this one. Davidson Figueiredo doesn't rule out move to Bantamweight after rough cut for UFC 263. Let's read it. What I have realized is I'm not going to read the whole thing. Davidson Figueiredo has decisions to make after losing his UFC belt. Dugas de Guerra has, was dethroned by Brandon Moreno in the UFC 263 rematch in Glendale, losing by third-round submission this past Saturday. Two days after the fight, Figueiredo was gracious in defeat while talking to MMA fighting, saying, We have shared our joy, feeling happy to see Moreno experience what he has in the past. I always have a problem making weight, brother, and it happened the same thing this time, said Figueredo, who made championship weight with seconds to spare Friday morning back in December. Figueredo was hospitalized the night before facing Moreno. I almost didn't make weight. It was quite complicated. It really was, he said. Maybe that was it. It made me slow, but I felt I was doing well in this fight. I just couldn't find myself. When I was about to find myself, he took my back and submitted me something I didn't expect. In an online pre-fight media scrum with Brazilian reporters on Tuesday, Figueiredo said he was on track to make championship weight smoothly for UFC 263, but says his weight got stuck while dehydrating. I don't know if it was due to the weather here. I don't know how to explain, Figueiredo said. It's too dry here so we drink more water i was drinking almost eight liters dang of water maybe that held in liquid in my body or i ate something wrong i really don't know the only thing i know that that it's complicated my weight cut it was hard i almost didn't make it figueredo was seen crying after the weigh-ins in one of the episodes of ufc 260 embedded and admits he thought he wouldn't be able to hit the 125 pound mark see that's the thing like a lot of people I don't know if this is a known fact I know this fact that other than championship fights you don't have to weigh in at 125 right on the dot they'll even let you weigh in as high as a pound over so for example if I'm going to go fight for a belt, and let's say I'm fighting at 170, I could weigh in as high as, not for the belt. For the belt, it has to be 170.0. Like, I have to be right at 170. That's what they call championship weight. That's why, I don't know if you guys remember when Conor McGregor fought Dennis Seaver at Featherweight. He said, 145, that's championship weight. Tell Jose I'm coming. Because he could have weighed in as high as 146.0. That doesn't sound like a lot, but the fighters say the last two pounds are the hardest to cut. Because at that point, they're probably all dry. They're probably all sucked out of any liquid in their body. So in his past fights, he's probably been weighing at, in at 126. Again, it doesn't sound like a lot, but from what I've heard from fighters that that makes all the difference in the world. So like I said earlier, I would like to see Davison fight 
in Bantamweight, I think that's for his health and for the longevity of his career. I think he should fight there. The article goes on to say, I even fought my coaches. I said I couldn't do it. He continued, I was bad. Not physically bad, but my head was shaking already. I started for two days, not drinking water well for days. The fight happened thanks to my coaches and a doctor friend of ours that was here for the event. See, like, that's not good. Like, look, he's saying he hasn't eaten for two days. He didn't drink water regularly in days. Like, you don't think that's going to hinder his performance even when he makes weight? Like, you don't think when Brandon's hitting him? Like, you don't think he's missing water in the brain that... I'm telling you, if this weight cut wasn't hard for him, maybe that jab that Brandon lands doesn't rock him. Again, taking... It sounds like I'm hating on Brandon, which I'm really not. I want to make that very clear. I'm really not. But I'm just saying, physiologically-wise body needs water and if he's depriving himself of that he's not going to be able to take hits very well what do you why do you think what happened to tj when henry clocked him he looked weak i guarantee you we don't see tj back at 125 at least not for a good while after that epo thing happened and it goes on to say moreno became the first born to ever win the ufc championship and figure they don't want a trilogy out in October after a majority draw and a defeat in the span of six months. That said, there's a chance Dugas de Guerra never competes at 125 pounds again. I think about moving up to Bantamweight, but in order to make the decision, I have to go back home, sit down with my team, and talk about it and make the best decision. I have to go back home and talk to my team. But let's see if the trilogy happens, right, man? I asked for the rematch with him. I'll talk to the guys and see what I can improve on. My diet, maybe. Even bring in my nutritionist with me to the fights. I have to go back home to really know what I want to do, man. But right now, I asked for the trilogy. I clearly won the first one, but they took the point away from me and made it a draw. That's what happens when you leave it in the hands of the judges. Their decision isn't always pleasant. He's got a point there. But maybe... I like what he said there. Maybe I'll bring my nutritionist. I like that. First and foremost, Dugas de Guerra jokes that he has to return to his hometown to remove the jinx that is holding him back. And if the UFC chooses to book an immediately tr- an immediately trilogy, it should say immediate, but it says immediately. For the flyweight championship, Figueredo vows to train harder and respect Moreno's grappling skills. But he's saying, I may never fight at flyweight again. I'm telling you, for his health, he should be fighting at bantamweight. For his health. Oh, let's read this one. On to the next one. Matches to make after UFC 263. Let's see if if they agree with what I said earlier. And then I'll read one more and then we're out of here. On the 47th episode of On to the Next One, MMA fighting Mike Hack and Alexander K. Lee put on their matchmaking hats following Saturday's UFC 263 event in Glendale, Arizona. Oh, man. Never mind. 
This is a promotion for their podcast. I wanted to read an article. So we'll do two more. Maybe three. Because I just saw this one. There aren't many. Oh, wait, wait. I have to read the title. George St. Pierre reveals the details of past UFC negotiations. Career earnings. I was making many millions of dollars. <coughs> Excuse me. There aren't many figures in the fight game who handled their career more abstrutely than George St. Pierre. Astutely. St. Pierre 40 is widely considered one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. A former two-division UFC champion who reigned over the welterweight division across two title runs from 2006 to 2013, captured the middleweight strap in 2017 following a four-year hiatus from competitions and stands as one of the history's most bankable MMA stars. But St. Pierre's path to financial success wasn't always easy and the future Hall of Famer details some of the hurdles he had to overcome in his career for recent peace and weft simple magazine titled The UFC Won't Pay You Barely Unless You Make Them. <laughs> That's funny. So I guess he did this magazine and he did an article and he, he's like, unless you make them do it, they're going to act like you, you ain't worth it. In it, St. Pierre explained that he received a purse of $3,000 to show and $3,000 to win for his UFC debut against Carl Parisian at UFC 246. After defeating Parisian and Jay Herod in a sub, subsequent bout, St. Pierre was awarded a title shot against UFC welterweight champion Matt Hughes. Later that same year, for which St. Pierre wrote that he was paid 9000 to show after ultimately losing to Hughes via first-round submission. However, by 2008, St. Pierre had twice defeated Hughes to win the trilogy between the two welterweights and established himself as the pyramid 170-pound fighter in the world. With a title defense against John Finch looming at UFC 187 and St. Pierre's contract with his promotion set to expire, the Canadian legend wrote that he saw the opportunity to gamble on himself and dramatically change his pay scale within the UFC. There is no union in the fight game, so for us in MMA, negotiation has become like a chess game, St. Pierre wrote. Other organizations wanted to have me as their poster boy, and the UFC knew that. Like a poker bluff, we said, we don't want to resign before the fight. We want to just finish the contract. We took a big risk because it's like the stock market. Your start, your stock might go up if you're successful, but it might go down if you lose. But that's what we decided to do. According to St. Pierre, his risk paid off. Before he ever even reached the fight night, I took a, a big gamble on myself. I told the UFC I wasn't going to resign with them. And then, the day before my fight with John Finch, the UFC came back with his big crazy contract. Because they didn't want me to become a free agent, St. Pierre wrote. You, re you read, I made $400,000 a match. No, I made a lot more than that. I made <laughs> a lot more than that. Millions. When I was at the peak of my career, I was making millions of dollars. Because you not only get money to show and money to win, but you also have a percentage of the gate. 
and pay-per-view buys. The gate and pay-per-view buys is where the real money is. That's how fighters make their money. But you need to have the power to negotiate those terms. St. Pierre noted, rather than splurging newfound winnings on a superficial investment like jewelry and bling, he instead invested his money into himself purchasing, purchasing recovery tools like a personal ice bath and traveling the world in search of the best coaches and training partners to help stay one step ahead of his competitors. He had not done so, St. Pierre wrote. The sport may have caught up with him, and his window to earn life-changing money for his fights would have likely been much smaller. I would have never had the career that I had, he wrote. I knew my career was going to be too short for me to spend my money on luxury. St. Pierre also revealed financial details for his 2017 comeback against Michael Bisping, which saw St. Pierre return after four years on the shelf to challenge them for the middleweight title. St. Pierre ultimately defeated Bisping via third-round submission before exiting MMA entirely with his health and his legacy intact. It still stands today as one of the cleanest exits for an MMA legend in, in the sport's history. There's a lot of people buried in the desert for much less than what I made for that fight. My friend St. Pierre wrote for the fight with Michael Bisping. With the pay-per-view, the sponsors and all that, I made about $10 million. Then in 2019, I got out. I'm very lucky and very privileged that I finished on top. The reality is most fighters finish broken, broken, broken. They hang in there too long, their brain is damaged, and they go broke. I'm very healthy and I'm very wealthy. It's very rare to find someone that hangs up the gloves and finishes on top like this. But that's something Nick and Nate know, right? Like, Nate knows. But I think Nate figured out, well, I make bank with this game of nutrition. Because, like, they were smart with their money and they invested in a company for them, right? And so was Connor with Proper 12. And they, I'm pretty sure they have other business ad adventures, endeavors the word I was looking for endeavors but damn that's crazy George so I, I think George is the first one as far as I know to do that that he's probably the first one that did it he's probably told other fighters like bet on yourself don't sign until your last fight with the organization if you win they'll pay you a bunch of money Cause he's saying for the John Finch fight he made four hundred thousand dollars, but he's saying he made more because of the pay per view buys and and the gate percentages that he got. Um, there was one more I wanted to talk about. We already talked about Damian Maya asked to face Nane in his final fight of his career. This will be the last one. Dana White slams Jake Paul and Tyrone Willie scoffs at a supposed payday for boxing match. It's all a bunch of BS. Dana White always says he'd rather not address Jake Paul, Logan Paul, and the circus that follows their fighting careers. But he seems to get drawn back into it quite often. The latest example came after UFC 263 on Saturday night when UFC president was asked 
about the recent boxing exhibition between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul that sold around 1 million pay-per-view buys. According to why, he actually spoke to Mayweather after the exhibition fight took place and he commends the former multi-time, multi-weight class champion for pulling off an event of that magnitude in comparison. However, why says, while Logan Paul can be proud he was a part of such a huge card, his brother Jake can't claim the same despite the numerous reports that his knockout against retired UFC fighter Ben Ashkin also pulled astronomical figures on pay-per-views. Jake didn't do million pay-per-view buys. His brother did a million. Him and Floyd did a million. White said at UFC 263. Last time we had a press conference, I told you all the thriller stuff is BS. They're lying, the numbers. But those guys, Logan and Floyd, really did that number. That's a real number. They did that. Jake didn't do it. Logan and Floyd did it. Good for them. That's a real number. They really did that. Good and <laughs> good for them. White addresses the recent comments from former UFC welterweight champion Tyrell Woolley that he will be receiving the biggest paycheck of his entire career for upcoming boxing match against Jake Paul in uh, August. Woolley left the organization earlier this year at the conclusion of his most recent contract where it followed a four-fight losing streak in a row inside the octagon. Now he's poised to headline a pay-per-view alongside Paul with his manager Malky Caldwell previously telling MMA and fighting that Woodley definitely got paid in his base guarantee more than he ever did in the UFC. Whether as a champion or non-champion, that's a fact, yes. For his part, White would like to get a look at the contract. I've been hearing that BS forever, White said. I've been hearing that. They're all full of shit. What's he making exactly? If it's that much money and he's so effing proud of it, how much is it? They're all full of shit. That's how you hype up a fight too. White went on to explain how Woodley talking about his paycheck and White taking shots at him and the UFC so much recently only serves to put them in the spotlight to help build interest for their upcoming fight. Despite Woodley being a former UFC champion, White doesn't see his past accomplishments as a reason enough to believe he's going to suddenly become a highly promotable boxing superstar. That's why White is convinced that all these other subjects are being raised in order to build awareness about the fight with Paul rather than trying to focus on the contest at hand. Tyron Woodley is 40 years old. He hasn't won a fight in three years and something he's actually supposed to be good at, White said. Now he's going to go box. How do you sell that fight? Lots of other things than the shit that should matter. Tyron Woodley says, I'm making millions of dollars in the biggest payday ever. And Jake Paul says, mean things about me and pay your fighters. And you guys in the media just effing get right into it and love it. It's all BS. It's all a bunch of BS. Woodley had this to say on Twitter on Sunday. Why people mad I'm getting paid? I celebrated my peers when I they made a bag. Even ones in the crosshairs. People. Hashtag big mad, but we hashtag build different. I still congratulate.
So Dana says BS. Tyron says he's making money. And I only believe it because it's Jake Paul. If he goes out and boxes some boxer that's not promotable, but they're both good boxers, I can see it not selling. But because Jake Paul knows how to sell things, like look at what he did, got your hat. Is it dumb? Yes, but that dude knows how to make money. You can't hate on him for that. Now, is he? Are they make? Are they doing a million pay-per-view buys? That's a stretch. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's around three hundred thousand, maybe four hundred thousand, possibly half a million. But to tell me that they're doing a million pay-per-view buys, that is a stretch. Dana White says it's all BS. We all know Dana doesn't lie. Except when it comes to the sale of the UFC, right? I hope you guys got my sarcasm. But on that note, I will let you guys out of here. So, enjoy the fights, guys. It should be a good one. Deuces.